please, if you have your copy of the Word of God, and I hope and pray that you do, and turn them with me to Hebrews chapter number 10. We're starting a brand new chapter in the book of Hebrews this evening. For those of you who don't know, we on Wednesday nights go expositorily through a book of the Bible, God's Holy Word. And right now we find ourselves in the book of Hebrews and been there for quite a while. And uh, my purpose this evening is to finish up with verse number 18. We want to go 1 through 18, and if we're going to do that, uh, then we've got to dive right into it quickly this evening. We've got a long way to go and a short time to get there, but um, I'm so thankful for the great privilege and opportunity the Lord has given me to preach this great truth to you tonight. I mean, there is, um, when I said we're diving in, I meant that because really we're going to dive deep uh, this evening into the deep things of God and really get down to the foundation of who we are in Christ and um, what Jesus has done for each and every one of us. And it's so powerful, and I can't wait to share it with you. Um, so let's look together, starting in verse number 1. I'm going to read through verse number 18. Then we'll come back and unpack this as far as we can. Look what this says. For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of those things, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered, because that the worshippers once purged should have had no more conscience of sin. But in those sacrifices there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sin. If you believe that, say amen. It was never meant for the blood of bulls and goats to take away the sin of the people, our sin, my sin, your sin. It's always been God's plan for his son to come and take away the sin of the world. He is the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Let's go on. Let's look what else it says. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, verse 5, he says, Sacrifice and offerings thou wouldest not, but a body thou hast prepared for me. In burnt offering and sacrifices for sins, thou hast had no pleasure. Then said, I lo, I come in the volume of the book, as it is written of me, to do thy will, O God. Above when he said, Sacrifice and offering and burnt offering and offering for sin, thou wouldest not, neither hadst pleasure therein, which are offered by the law. Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second. Very powerful verse there, verse number 9. Look at 10. Watch this now. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Somebody give me a good definition tonight for the word sanctified. Who can do that? Anybody? To be sanctified is to be set apart for the purpose of God. When God sanctifies us, he cleans us up and sets us apart for his purpose. Let's go on. Watch what else it says. And every priest standeth daily, ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, which can never take away sin. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifices for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God, from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. For by one offering he hath perfected forever... Them that are sanctified. If I'm reading verse 14 right, it's saying that we have been 
perfected through the finished work of Jesus. What an amazing verse. Well, how powerful that truly is. How many of you understand that not only has God justified us when we chose to place faith in Christ, listen, He forgave us of our sin and justified us, made us right in the eyes of God the Father who is holy, but He also sanctified us. First of all, positionally, we went from being outside of Christ to being in Christ. We talked about that Sunday. But how many of you also know that, listen to me now, God says we've already been glorified. God sees our salvation as so complete and so perfect that He already sees us as being glorified with Jesus in heaven. That's a powerful thing. And so what He's saying is, even though we are still living in this flesh and we're certainly not perfect in this flesh, our relationship to God is perfect because it's not based upon what we do, but on what He has done. And He already sees us as being seated with Christ in the heavenlies according to Ephesians chapter number 2. For by one offering He hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Whereof the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us. For after that He said before, this is the covenant. Watch what He says here. I love this. This is the covenant that I will make with them for after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds, and will I write them. And their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Now, where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. There is no more offering for sin. There is no more offering for sin. Why is there no more offering for sin? Because Jesus has already paid the price once and for all for my sin and for yours. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. That means now we can freely enter into the presence of God, into the holy place, because of the shed blood of the Son of God and God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, again, we love you. Thank you, Lord, for this good day and the truth of your word. And I'm asking you right now, Lord Jesus, that you would do your work that only you can do. Lord, I can preach truth, but only you can impart truth. So, Lord, I'm asking that you would speak to me, speak through me, and then, Lord, make real this truth that you've given me to your people. Lord, I pray that we leave here different than we were when we came here. And I'm asking, Lord, that you start with me. Lord, give us a fresh anointing, a fresh touch tonight that would awaken us for kingdom ministry. In Jesus' name we pray and for your sake. Amen. Now, before we get into the text this evening, I want to read to you something from your hymnal. So if you've got a hymnal in front of you or... Um, you, you don't even have to do that. We can probably put it on the screen, but I'm going to grab one right quick. Give me a hymnal. Some, thank you, brother. Page number 134 is what I'm going to look at. Now, again, I'm not ever going to sing this for you, but, uh, but I, I will read it for you. It certainly wouldn't be a blessing to anybody if I started singing, but it is a blessing when we get a hold of the truth of what's being said right here. Well, uh, page 134 in your white hymnal, look what it says. I hear the Savior say, Thy strength indeed is small. Child of weakness, watch and pray. Find in me thine all in all. Verse 2, Lord, now indeed I find thy power and thine alone can change the leper spots and melt the heart of stone. If you believe it, say amen. I am so thankful that Jesus still melts hearts of stone. That he can humble us and bring us to the place where we understand our need for him. That's what this, this song's talking about here. Look what else it says, verse, uh, verse number um, three there. 
For nothing good have I were by the grace to claim. I'll wash my garments white in the blood of Calvary's lamp. And when before the throne I stand in him complete, Jesus died my soul to save, my lips shall still repeat. And the course says, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, and praise the mighty name of Jesus, he washed it white as snow. See, the, the book of Hebrews is actually talking about what the song is talking about. And the, the song that we, we, I read to you tonight that we sing a lot around here, it's so powerful because it finds its foundation in the precious, powerful Word of God. And really what if, uh, Hebrews chapter 10 is speaking to us, teaching, teaching to us, is that Jesus and His work is enough for our salvation. His work is is finished. You've probably heard me say, or at least I hope you have, when a lot of times I'll talk about Jesus and his finished work. Now, I hope you're not getting tired of that because we're going to keep talking about it. That is the foundation of our faith. And that's really what Hebrews chapter 10 is all about. If you remembered when we started in chapter number 8, uh, just a few months ago, we said that Hebrews 8, 9, and 10 teaches us of the superiority of Christ. And Hebrews chapter 8, it teaches us about the superior nature of the priesthood of Jesus. That Jesus is not a priest after the order of Aaron, but after Melchizedek. And then we looked into verse 10, or excuse me, uh, chapter number 9. And chapter number 9 teaches us that Jesus not only is a superior high priest, but he has a superior tabernacle to, mention, to, to minister in. His tabernacle is in, the, is in heaven. It's a tabernacle not made by the hands of men. Well, in, verse, in chapter number 10, he talks to us about the superior nature of the sacrifice of Christ and what that means for us. Now, it's through the sacrifice of Christ that Jesus finished the work of salvation. We're going to talk about what that means for all of us right here this evening. Now the writer of the book of Hebrews presents three benefits of the sacrifice of Jesus that makes his sacrifice superior to the Old Testament sacrifices under the law. So really what I want to give you tonight is the need for a better sacrifice. And I've got just three or four points that I'm going to give you real quickly and we're going to be done. First of all, the need for a better sacrifice according to Hebrews 10. Let's look at verse number 1. Look what he says. For the having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year, continually make the comers thereunto perfect. So he's talking about those Old Testament sacrifices. All that that was done under the law where the blood of animals was shed over and over and over again day by day, week by week, and then on the Day of Atonement, year after year, they shed the blood of animals for the sin of the people. And God commanded them to do that, but He did it for a reason. Not so their sins could be forgiven or taken away, but so that He could foreshadow the true Lamb of God that would one day shed His blood. There's a foreshadowing there, and that's what verse number 1 is talking about. Having a shadow of good things to come. I remember when I was probably in the 6th, 7th grade, something like that, in, the, in English class, I learned what foreshadowing was all about. Foreshadowing is, first of all, an indication in, in the early chapters of a book that the author uses 
to foretell a future event. And that's exactly what God did through the system of the law uh, throughout all the Old Testament. He was indicating a future event that was going to take place. He was never saying that the blood of bulls and goats would take away sin, but it was pointing to the Messiah, the, the one who would come and shed his blood so that our sins could be forgiven. And when he came here, they wouldn't miss him because they would realize what they had been doing all that time. It was a foreshadowing pointing forward to what Christ would one day do. That's what verse number one is talking about. Now, not only was the Old Testament sacrifices a foreshadowing, an indication of a future event, but, but it was also something else. These Old Testament sacrifices, listen, did nothing to take care of the shame of sin. Even though God commanded them to, listen, shed blood for sin in the Old Testament, they still had the shame and guilt within themselves of the sins they had committed. Look at verse number two. Watch what the Bible tells us there. For then they would not have ceased to be offered because that the worshipers once purged should have no more conscience of sins. So what the, the writer is telling us there, if those sacrifices would have been a, a, enough to take care of the guilt and the shame of the sinner, then they wouldn't have had to keep offering them time after time after time after time. How many of you understand this evening that sin always brings shame? does and I want to I want to I want to let you in on, on, on something that's that's really good news for every blood-bought born-again believer tonight how many of you understand that yes Jesus did die for our sin but he also died for our shame in our shame see what I'm trying to tell you is the cross itself was shameful, very much so. Jesus, after the Last Supper with his disciples, was arrested by the Jewish authorities. The soldiers that were controlled by the high priest came and arrested Jesus. They were brought back to the home of Caiaphas, and from that moment on, he was openly beaten and tortured until the time he was put on the cross. It started at the home of Caiaphas. If you remember, the religious leaders there struck him in the face uh, when he was first arrested. Then he was given over to the Roman authorities. The Romans were the ones who were going to crucify him. They were the ones who were going to ultimately execute him. And so, listen to me now, the Romans had absolutely perfected the art of crucifixion, the art of torture. The art of torture is the crucifixion. And so much so that they had people trained to actually crucify prisoners. They were called lectors. And these lectors in the Roman army had soldiers under them to, to help carry out the torture. Historians tell us that, uh, that they would have played a game with Jesus called hot hand. And what they would do with the prisoner is put a blindfold around his, over his eyes, uh, around his head. And, and then each soldier would take turns, punch him in the face. They would take the blindfold off and they would ask him, okay, who hit you? And if he answered wrong, they'd put the blindfold back on and just keep going. How many of you know that was not only an act of torture, but it was also uh, a mockery. It, it was shameful to him to be beaten there in front of those people, especially since, listen to me now, he had done no 
wrong. How many of you understand tonight? It's one thing to get blamed and suffer punishment for something you've done wrong. But how many of you have ever gotten blamed and suffered punishment for something uh, th that you hadn't done? That hits a little bit different, doesn't it? That's what happened with Jesus. Then the Bible tells us that they took a crown of thorns and they twisted it up and they pressed it down there upon his head. And that itself was an, was, was a, an act to mock him. Well, okay, Jesus, if you claim to be the king of the Jews, then you've got to have a crown. So they plaited up a, a crown of thorns and pressed it down upon his head. That was shameful. Now, I know we've all got an idea of what the crucifixion look like and sometimes we don't want to think about just how ugly and shameful the crucifixion was but folks i want you to know when a prisoner in that day was crucified he was crucified naked hanging on a cross between god and man that's how jesus was crucified the son of god and god the son the God who made the tree hung on a tree naked for you and for me. It was shameful to him. While he was hanging there, the Bible says in Luke 23 that Jesus was stretched out between the two thieves. He was crucified on the cross. They took spikes and drove through his wrists and through his feet. And then Jews at the bottom of the cross began crying out, You've saved others. Why can't you save yourself? He claimed to be the Son of God and he did all these miracles. How about performing a miracle and coming down off that cross? They were mocking him at the foot of the cross. How do you understand that? Shameful. The Bible says he was spit upon, his beard was plucked out. Anybody ever gotten spit upon? That produces shame. He died in our shame for our shame. You say, brother, how is it in our shame? He's the one who died, yes, but he died for my sin. And he died for your sin. It wasn't for his wrong he was being mocked. It wasn't for his wrong he was being tortured. It wasn't for his wrong that he hung naked on the cross. It was for my wrong, for your wrong, for my shame, and for your shame. See, those Old Testament sacrifices could not take away the shame and the guilt that sin brings. Only the shed blood of Christ can do that. Why? Because he died for our shame in our shame. Amen? I don't know about you, but I've done things in my past that I'm certainly not proud of. Things that really bother me, even now, years later. And for a long time, I struggled with that. Man, I'd get in my head about it, you know. I knew what God had called me to do early on in life. I knew what God wanted from me. And I went my own way and done my own thing and completely rebelled against God and forfeited a lot of the blessing that God wanted to give me. Forfeited the life 
that God had planned for me. And I completely made a mess out of everything. Ruined any witness I ever had. I can promise you there was a time in my life when no one would have ever believed I would have been the pastor at Mount Zion Baptist Church. I didn't even believe it. The things I did then, during that period of my life, brings me great shame and regret and guilt. And for a long time, I let that really get next to me. I'd get, like I said, I'd get in my head about it. And it would um, bring me great discouragement and borderline depression even. Bothered me. Until finally, the Lord brought this revelation to my heart and mind. He didn't just die for my sin. He died for my shame. And now, I can stand forgiven. Not because of who I am or what I've done or what I hadn't done. Listen, now I stand forgiven in the finished work of Jesus. I no longer have to wallow in shame and guilt and regret. Why? Because he took care of all that at the cross. He died for that too. Now the good news is, listen to me, if you have placed faith in Christ and been born again, listen, if you have repented of the things that you know God was not pleased with, I want you to understand and know once you repented and confessed your sin, the Bible promises that he forgives your sin and cleanses you from all unrighteousness. If you believe it, say amen to that. 1 John chapter number 1. Brothers, if you will, please put this on the screen for me. 1 John chapter 1 and verse number 9. If we confess our sins, watch this now, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now you and I understand that when John was writing these words in 1 John, he's not writing to lost people, he's writing to saved people. He's writing to people who are still struggling with sin and struggling in the flesh. And he said, you know what? If there comes a time when you get into sin, the Bible says you can confess it to him and he will forgive you. Listen to me. If you are a child of God and there's things in your life that you know is not supposed to be there, my advice to you is to confess that sin to the Lord. Come into agreement and say, okay, God, what you say is right. I've been wrong and I ask for your forgiveness. And the Bible says when you confess it, when you repent, of that sin he will cleanse your sin and forgive and listen to me now he will forgive your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness you no longer have to wallow in the shame and regret and guilt of past sins once you've confessed and repented of those sins to the Lord the good news is the blood of bulls and goats could not take away the conscience of those sins that shame and guilt and regret but the blood of Jesus can We've got a much better sacrifice. If you believe it, say amen. Hebrews chapter 10. Let's go back there. He says in verse number 3, For in those sacrifices there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins every year on the Day of Atonement. We've talked about this as we study through 
the book of Hebrews, the high priest would take the blood that was shed from a bull. He would bring that blood into the holy place, into the holy of holies, and apply that blood to the mercy seat for the sins of the people. And that had to happen year after year after year after year. There were a lot of other sacrifices that were made as well, daily, weekly, monthly, over and over and over and over again. And the Bible says we needed a better sacrifice because those sins wouldn't cut it. Excuse me, those sacrifices wouldn't cut it. They were not enough. There was still a remembrance of the sin in the heart and life of people. They had no peace with God. Therefore, they didn't have the peace of God. You may tell you how you get peace, the peace of God. You've got to be at peace with God. You may tell you how you get at peace with God. Then you need to get your sin problem taken care of. And the only way we get our sin problem taken care of is through faith in Christ. How many of you understand that we are by nature sinners? And we've proved our sinful nature by our choices and our actions. We've done things that God said we shouldn't do, and we hadn't done things God said we should do, and all of us have a sin problem. Amen? Every one of us. The good news is, through the shed blood of Christ, your sin problem can be taken care of. His work was enough. What the blood of bulls and goats couldn't do, the blood of Jesus can do. He paid it all. He paid for my sins and your sins when he took the punishment for our wrong at the cross. There was a need for a better sacrifice. But then we see there was a provision of a better sacrifice. Look at verse number 5. Watch what it says. Wherefore, when he cometh unto the world, he says, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body thou hast prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin thou had no pleasure. Look at verse 7. Watch this. Then said I, lo, I come in the volume of the book it is written to me to do thy will, O God. Verse 8. Above when he said sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offering for sin thou wouldest not neither had his pleasure therein which are offered by the law. All of those sacrifices done under the sacrificial system under the law was not enough. God had no pleasure in them. All that was doing was foreshadowing Shadowing, indicating a future event that would one day take place. See it? Then the ninth verse tells us, Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second. He took away the first covenant, so that he might establish the second covenant. The first covenant was under the law. The second covenant came by grace. The first covenant was about religious activity. The second covenant is about relationship with God Almighty through the person of His Son. The first covenant, listen to me now, could offer us no hope of the forgiveness of sin. The second covenant promises hope because of the forgiveness of sin. 
He took away the first that he may establish the second. There was a provision of a better sacrifice in the person of Jesus. The Bible says, sacrifice and offering, Lord, that didn't honor you. You wouldn't please with that. So I came in a body. Isn't that what it said in verse number six? Watch this. Go back to verse six, brothers. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, thou hast had no pleasure. No pleasure. Look at verse number five. Excuse me, back up one. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he says, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body. Everybody say a body. The provision of the sacrifice came in the person of Jesus. And it says, I came in a body to do this. What's he mean by that? How many of you know, for the sin of men to be forgiven, you had to have a man come to do for men what men couldn't do for themselves. So what did God do? He came himself. God incarnate in the flesh so that he might do for men what men couldn't do. Men couldn't keep the law. So Jesus came and was born into human flesh so that, listen to me now, he might keep the law and be that perfect lamb of God that could die for my sin and for your sin. He came in a body. Not to make sacrifice, but to offer himself as a sacrifice for the sins of all mankind. Are you good? There was a need for a better sacrifice. There was provision of a better sacrifice in the person of Christ. But then I want you to see the power of the sacrifice. Look at verse number 10. Watch what else this is. By the which will we are sanctified, watch this now, through the offering of the body of Christ once and for all. There's power. Power. Wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. Power to do what? Power to forgive sin. Sin is our greatest problem. If sin gets forgiven, if it gets washed clean by the blood of the Lamb, then, it, then guess what? The blood of the Lamb takes care of the problem of sin. It's that sin that separates us from God. Well, if our sin is taken care of, if our sin is washed clean by the precious blood, listen to me, folks, then we can then be made right with God who loves us. And that was the purpose of Jesus' coming. He came to take away our sin, to sanctify us, to clean us up and set us apart for God's purpose. His will, by His will, we are sanctified through the offering of what? The body of Christ. Again, Jesus didn't come to make sacrifice. He came as the sacrifice, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. There's power in the blood of Christ to forgive sin, to wash us clean. But not only do I want you to see the need for a better sacrifice and the provision of a better sacrifice and the power of the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus, but I also want you to see the permanence 
of the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus. You said, brother, what do you mean permanence? I mean, listen, it lasts for all eternity. There's no more need for sacrifice to be offered. Just the other night, I was watching the History Channel. And, and I'm a history buff, man. I love history. But I want to I warn you. I want to caution you. Watch what you watch on a lot of the, lot, lot of the, the especially on any television channel, but on the History Channel. I was watching it the other night. And it was showing these guys uh, in the Philippines who were... Um, who were carrying their cross and whipping themselves with whips and then they were actually being crucified on that cross to prove their allegiance to Christ and the Christian faith. And the whole time I see them doing that, I'm thinking, why? All of that's already been done. There's no need for you to offer payment for your sin, the payment has already been made in the person of Christ. Even if you try and make payment for your sin, your payment is not going to be worthy. God is not going to accept it. Why? Because it takes the perfect, holy, righteous Lamb of God without spot or blemish. And the truth is, we've all got blemishes. Whether you're in America or you're in the Philippines. Red, yellow, black, and white. Purple, if we've got them people. I don't care what color you are, what nationality you are. I don't care where you come from. Listen, all of us have blemishes. All of us have problems with sin. All of us have got a past. Every one of us. I cannot die for sin because I'm not perfect. Only Jesus could die for sin because he was perfect. Those people in the Philippines are really making a mockery of the Christian faith and going through a whole lot of unnecessary pain simply because of ignorance and maybe pride. One sacrifice has been offered and God says that's enough. Verse number 11. Every priest stands daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices which can never take away sin. And really what the writer is saying is during that time there was still a sacrificial system going on. He said those priests are in their temple still doing the things they've always done. It's not even neat. It's not necessary. Listen, those sacrifices were never meant to take away sin. That was just pointing to the true Lamb of God that wouldn't come. But guess what? The writer is telling us he has come and he's done what's needed. And now... The price has been fully paid. Then he says, verse 12, But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. I love this. My dad was a worker, is a worker, always has been. And around my house on a Saturday morning, when me and my brothers were growing up, very seldom did we get to lay in the bed or spend, we, we got to watch, you know, some cartoons on Saturday mornings, but we didn't spend three or four hours on Saturday mornings watching. Usually we was out doing something. He always found something for us to do. We had a wood heater. 
And every year we would go out and cut wood so that we could keep warm in the wintertime. And I can remember, man, it being in the middle of July. I'm talking about hot, some summer vacation, not even being in school. And on Saturday morning, my dad would get us up. We'd go out in the woods and cut firewood in July. And I would always ask him, Dad, what in the world are we doing? Why are we out in July cutting firewood? Can't this wait till it cools off? He said, son, this way will you get heat off of it two times. That's just how he thought. If there wasn't something to do around the house, he would invent something so that we'd be out doing something. He was a worker. And I can remember, man, when we would be out cutting wood or mowing grass or doing whatever it was we were doing, we never got to sit down until the work was finished. When the work was finished, and he said it's time to take a break, then we'd take a break. Every time I read Hebrews 10, 12, I think about that. But this man, speaking of Jesus, the Son of God and God the Son, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. Let me, let me ask you something. Why did Jesus sit down and remain seated at the place of authority on the right hand of the Father? Because his work was finished. Everything that needed to be done for me to be saved, for you to be saved, for the world to be saved, was done in the finished work of Christ. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Let me encourage you. If you're here tonight, and you've not trust yet trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sin. Today is a day of salvation. Everything that needed to be done for your sins to be forgiven and for you to be made right with God the Father has been done in the finished work of Christ. Trust Him. Trust Him before you leave this place. The Bible says if you are still in your sin, you are separated from God who loves you. You are spiritually dead and actually an, an enemy of God, under the wrath of God, even now, where you re whether you realize it or not. I want you to know, Jesus paid the price so that you might be made right with God the Father, justified in His eyes. The price has been paid. The work is finished. That's what Hebrews chapter 10 is really all about. His sacrifice is far superior to the sacrifices of the Old Testament. Anybody any comments or questions?